Good morning, everybody. Everybody doing good? All right, let's just get this out of the way. Who's rooting for the Cowboys today? Right? Yeah, okay. Anyone but the Niners. At least I have a team to watch today. If you have your Bibles, turn them to <laughs> the Chiefs, the, the team I don't want to face. Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17 and also 1 Corinthians 12 this morning. 1 Samuel 17 and 1 Corinthians 12. I'm excited to be here today continuing our, uh, our series on David and Goliath. And uh, throughout this series, we've been focusing really on the story of what we can learn. You know, we talked about Goliath. What did he do? What does the enemy do for us? We talked about David. What will the world say about you because you're young or the world saying you're unequipped to do what God has called you to do? And uh, it's a long, it's a well-known story, but, but I love being able to dive into it the way that we have. And, uh, you know, spoiler alert, David kills Goliath. Just get that out of the way now. If you guys haven't read the story, there's the big spoiler. David does win. But, um, but I think the way David wins today is really, really awesome. And it goes beyond just one swing of a, of a slingshot and one stone. There, there's so much more to it that, that comes to play with how David won this fight. But, um, but I love that we get to go through this together. Now, how many of you guys watch uh, like HGTV or home improvement shows, whether it's Fixer Upper or um, list, Love It or List It, just all, all the, the home shows, right? We, we watch a bunch of those in our house. And, and if, if you're anything like me, it's, it's tempting to look at what other people have sometimes and just be like, I wish I had that. I, I, I want that. Or, or when they unveil their brand new home, it's just, it looks incredible, right? Now, what you, don't sh what you don't know is if you go and talk to people that are behind the scenes on, not, not a fixture, what was the um, extreme makeover? What you don't know is that when they unveil the house, lots of pictures on the wall are covering holes that haven't been patched yet. Like it, it's, there's, there's lots there that you don't see on the unveiling. But, but still, you look at what people have, and you're like, I want that so bad. And then you see the bios of the people that are doing these things. And, and this, this family comes on and says, hey, I'm this, and I'm, this is my wife, and, and I volunteer one day in a library, and she collects butterflies. Our budget is $2.1 million. It's like, what? wow, where are you volunteering, and what butterflies are those? It's insane what people do. And it starts getting the whole, like, why? Why, why do I not have these things? Why? I, I wish I could have a little bit of what they had. And you start thinking about what you need. I need a better paying job. I need more income. I need this. I need that. I deserve these things. It's enticing to believe that we would need a better job, right? Or, or enticing that if I just went to a different zip code, everything changes. If, if I just go here, or if I just get a bigger house, if I just get more money, everything fixes itself. It's, it's easy to fall into that trap and think, I need all these things. Or maybe you would say, I can serve God in a way that both me and him wants, if I just get this first. Then I can dive in and do what he wants. This condition is not a unique one. This is not a new thought. This is something people have been struggling with since the beginning of time. And maybe it's something that a lot of us understand maybe a little bit too well, right? But I think in today's passage, we're going to look at this human condition that goes all the way back to the time of David and Goliath. But before we do David and Goliath, we're going to take a pit stop in 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 4. And I think this passage is a really good setup for what we're about to see happen with David as he goes into his, his fight with Goliath. There are things we can pull from it from the New Testament going back into the Old Testament. So it says this, starting in verse 4. Now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. 
There are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are, and there are different activities, but the same God activates each gift in each person. A demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of languages. And to another, interpretation of languages. But one and the same spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. See, the Bible makes it clear that there's going to be a lot of things that God gives people. A lot of different gifts. This is a list of spiritual gifts, right? And what's great about spiritual gifts is, is people get different spiritual gifts. Not, not one person's going to have all of these just like another person. You, you may have something that's different than somebody else's. We all get different things given to us by God. And these are not things that we do by ourselves. These are things that God flows through us. Things God has given us that get to grow in our lives. And I think that well, the Holy Spirit helps us see and learn what these gifts are and how God uses them in our lives. And what makes the body of Christ so beautiful is that we are all diverse. We're all different. And we don't have to look at somebody and say, wow, you have this gift. I don't like my gift. I wish I had yours. Man, I, I really wish God would not have given me this gift. I want this gift instead. We get to say, this is what God has given me. This is what gets to flow through me because of the Holy Spirit. And this is how it manifests in the world today. And it's never for our benefit. This is ultimately when we get the spiritual gifts and we exercise them, it's to glorify God to glorify him and reach his people. Now, now take a minute and think, think, of, think of your families for a second. You know, for those of you who have lots of siblings maybe or, or cousins or you know, a tight-knit family, you just, everyone's different, right? You, ha you have the family that you love to see, the family that you love to see leave when they come. You know, we, we have, we have all, all shapes and sizes and sorts of people. But maybe in your family you have, there, there's someone in your family who are like, this person in my family has something that I wish I had. Like they, they have that thing that I want. Now, for me growing up, it was video games. I played lots of video games, and I had a friend who had lots of video games. And he had the latest and greatest. He always had the newest technology. And so when it was like, hey, can we go over to, can we go over to his house? I was like, yes, we can. I would you know, very convincingly put together an argument for my parents why I can spend the whole afternoon and spend the night and the next two days at my friend's house. And really, it was for the sake of me and my friend playing the new video games all day and all night. No one here probably has ever done that ever, not just video games, but something else, right? But here's the thing. I would get so jealous that my friends would have these things. I would want it so bad. And then you know, I'd come home and look at, look at our stuff, and I'd be very disappointed in what we had. It would, be, it would be like, I don't even, why waste my time with this stuff? Because my friend has all the cool stuff. I need to be like my friend. I've got to get over to their house. But it just wasn't in our budget at home. But when you're number seven of 15 kids under one roof, video games are not priority in the budget. All right? There's, there's very, very essential things you know, that, that we thought, why would we waste money on this? Like, you know, food and water and electricity. You know, the, the things that you need <laughs> to survive in a home. Clothes, just provision, things that you, could, that you needed to live. That was important. That was the important stuff. I had to learn not to look at all my friends, not to look at what they had and, and why I felt like I needed it. I had to look at what we did have, what we looked around us every day and say, this is, this is what we have, and this is so much more than what other people have. 
what did, what did I see when I looked around my house? I saw a ridiculously large number of siblings that I loved, who loved me. At least they told me they loved me. Um, four parents, biological parents and step-parents. I have uh, step-parents, a very, very odd but wonderful situation where I get to call my stepdad dad. I call my stepmom mom. They don't look at me as a stepchild. They look at me as their kid. That's not a common situation, but I look at my life. Not everybody has that, but I had that my entire childhood. My, my parents had both divorced and remarried by the time I was four. And I had two sets of parents who I love dearly, and they love me. I had parents who bent over backwards to give us what we need. Some of what we, some of what we wanted, but they gave us what we needed. And they gave us, no matter what house I was at, what set of parents I was with, a firm foundation in Jesus. Not everybody has that. I had to shift my mindset from being envious to being appreciative, to focus on what I had. And in retrospect, like I said, it was a lot more than what a lot of people have in the world today. We had it back then. And if you think, if you have a few kids now and you're like, how can I afford raising these three kids? Try raising 15. That's a lot of kids. That's a lot of food. Dinner time was an event every single night, but we were fed every single night. And on top of that, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. We could see God's provision in our house each and every day just by going to the dinner table. Now, think about what we've been talking about with David and Goliath. How differently would this story have gone if David would have spent his entire time looking at the army around him? He looks at, looks at the Israelites. He looks at the Philistines. He looks at everything and says, gosh, I wish what everybody else had. How, how different would the story have been if he'd focused on what he didn't have and what he wished he did instead of what he was standing in the middle of the battlefield with? If he'd spent his time envying those around him, the weapons, the, the sheer size of the army, the sheer size of Goliath. I mean, I can imagine going up going, yeah, I'd, wa I'd want to fight anybody too if I was that guy, right? No one stands a chance. Instead, David wasn't focused on what all the things around him were. He wasn't focused on everything else. He was focused on one thing, what he had. He had a slingshot, he had some stones, and he had a really, really big ally that said, I'm going to get you through this. He had God on his side. Now, if, if you know the story to summarize it, where we are now, David's going to meet with Saul, he's going to turn away a whole lot of weapons and armor, and he's going to go to confront Goliath. And when he does, one swing, one stone, he takes down this giant. He wins the battle, the Philistines are defeated, Israel is victorious, and there's a lot that goes on in this passage when we see how David does this. But there are a few specific things I want us to highlight this morning in regards to David's call to fight Goliath that we can do today. I'm not saying take a slingshot to, to fight today. But there's things David does in his preparation for this fight that we can all do as we seek to understand the call, the will, and giftedness that God has given every single one of us in this room. The first thing I think we learn from David in this passage, and we'll read it together, is that David learns to block out the white noise. David learns in his environment he can block out all the white noise. Now in 1 Samuel 17, verse 32 to 33, it says this. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. David approaches Saul with this amazing abundance of confidence, right? I mean, last week we saw that David comes up, his brother's talking down to him. Why are you even here? You're evil. I know your heart. You just want to see the fight. David's asking everyone, who is this uncircumcised 
Philistine that's insulting our God. David's ticked at what's going on. So he goes to Saul confident. I'm going to take this guy out. And what is the first thing Saul says? You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're just a young guy. You're just young. And Goliath, not only is this guy a giant, he's been fighting since he was a kid. You've got no chance. Saul is totally destroying David's confidence, right? Last week, we talked a little bit about those who will try to hold us back and look down on us. And there, there are many in our lives, regardless of where you are, that th this will happen. Someone will look down on you. Someone will say you're not qualified for whatever it is you're trying to do. This happens. And it often comes in the form of someone trying to cast doubt. And we unpack that a little bit in this series. Similar to what 1 Timothy says, though, and we referenced it last week, Saul seems to be looking down on David. He says, hey, you're too young. You cannot do this. You are just too young. What is David supposed to do with this? I mean, have you ever been in that situation where you're confident and someone just shoots you down? I, I know that, that for me, um, I, I'm, I'm very confident in a lot of things. But, but I know that if, if I go in and do something and someone just starts berating or belittling me, it, it hurts. It, it, I, I wear my emotions on my sleeve. I can walk into a room and people know if I'm upset about something. It's just how I, how I am. Right? When Stephanie and I were, were dating, we would do those relationship quizzes, and I always scored as the girl in the relationship. And I'm emotional. But, but words affect people in such a deep way. Words can cut you and hit you really hard. But what does David do? David comes in. What's he supposed to do with Saul's words? You can't do this. You're too young. His brother won't even have it. His brother said he was like, Why are you, what are you even doing here? You have no place here. Other people probably simply ignored David, just this small guy walking through, passing out food to his family and, and the commanders, right? Saul says he has no chance of success. But to David... This is all just white noise. David doesn't let this get to him. He very quickly brushes what people are saying off because he knows who he is and what he's been called to do. White noise. White noise, it's defined as this, a type of noise that is produced by combining sounds with all different frequencies together. Now, many of us are common with the term white noise. Um, how many of you guys, uh, when you have kids, you put like a white noise machine so they sleep through kind of the white noise in the background? And that's, that's actually something we've twisted white noise to be. The original white noise term, it's not a pleasant noise. White noise is a background noise that, that causes you to cringe. You start wondering where it's coming from. It's a frequency. Have you ever had that high-pitched ringing in your ears? Sometimes something happens. There's, that's, that's coming from different radio signals and things getting mashed together, and it's, it makes a white noise that is not pleasant. It can cause people to leave a room. Uh, they made a scary movie about it called White Noise. Like, there's a reason white noise is not a good thing in this context. You combine a bunch of sounds. It's really, really bad. It causes people in the physical sense and even in a spiritual sense to retreat. Say, I can't handle all this noise. I just need to get out of here. See, in, in a spiritual sense, we, we will all have that at times. We will all have white noise coming at us. You will always have the naysayers. You'll always have the people coming at you, whether it's a physical person or the lies of the enemy whispering in your ear. You'll have this white noise casting doubt and speaking into you. And if you aren't careful, what happens with that white noise? It starts becoming more than just noise. It starts becoming your perception of reality. It starts becoming what guides your, your actions, what guides your steps and, and how you start thinking and how you start praying. It starts affecting everything if you let it get to you. That's why it's so important, I think, that when we hear white noise, we need to start discerning what is white noise and what are the words of God. What is the world saying to me? What is God saying to me? What, what, what is casting doubt and fear and what is building up encouragement because I know who the victor is? 
we have to learn how to sort through different voices in our life with the help of the Holy Spirit. And this, this requires more than, than just saying, all right, I'm just going to listen better. It requires something. Right? It requires us spending time in the word. It requires us spending time with God. It requires us saying, God, I'm going to choose to try and listen to you. Maybe you've never done it before, but you just got to take that first step and try. And there's some questions we can ask when we start differentiating the white noise between, between the word of God, right? Questions we can ask this. Does this voice actually care about me? Ask yourself that. How many times do we let someone's words come in and start messing with your life and that person actually doesn't even care about you? You don't even know this person. Someone who you've never met says something, but we start giving them so much emotional collateral over our lives that it starts really bogging us down. For example, post a different opinion on social media once in a while. You will get, post a political opinion on social media. Post a sports prediction on social media. People lose their minds. People go crazy. But then not even some people just going crazy. Some people who you've never met before, who you've never seen, will all of a sudden start trying to destroy you as a person because your opinion and what you're, what you're believing in is different than what they are. It can rip you apart. And the thing is, you don't even know those people. We don't know who they are. They don't know you. All they know is one sentence of what you've said, but somehow we let people's comments like that really, really destroy us. Kids today are facing cyberbullying. Some of it from people they know, some of it from people they don't know, but something gets out on social media that, that hurts them and it can destroy kids. One wrong post, one small thing, because we let people who don't care about us make us care about what they're thinking. Ask yourself, is this voice really care about you? Ask yourself this question, is this a godly voice? When someone's saying something to you, is this person speaking life into your heart? Is this When they speak to you, is it full of the fruit of the Spirit? Are they speaking love, joy, and peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? When they speak to you, are they doing these things, or are they just trying to bring you down? Or are they just giving you their two cents that maybe isn't even really worth two cents? Is what they're saying full of grace and truth? Do they really care about you enough to speak life and love into your life? Ask yourself, does this voice hold wisdom? Is this wise? Is, are they giving you good godly advice and direction? Or are they pointing you in something that's going to lead toward, toward an earthly desire or maybe a selfish ambition? Ask them, is this a wise piece of advice coming? Is, is this someone who I know is also spending time in the word who's going to point me in the direction that's going to be best for not just me, but best for my walk with God? Does this voice hold wisdom? Ephesians 5, 4 says this. There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Are people, are people building you up? Are people speaking life into you? Let that be what fuels you, fuels you, not the white noise that can turn you the other way. Discerning voices is key. I think it's key for all of us. The ability to block out the ones that are going to tear you down or push you off track, this is huge. And take it from me, it is not easy. It's not easy. You can't just, I don't think, walk out one day and say, all right, bad voice is gone, good voice is in, life better. It's, it takes practice. It, it takes a lot of discernment. And that's why I think it's important that we surround ourselves with people that are going to speak that good, goodness into us. Um, I, I can't plug it enough. Join a small group. Get around a group of people that are, that are going to be sharing genuine life with each other, that are going to be building each other up. And this, this series, the One Month to Live series, is going to be, I think, so crucial and good and growing for people to get to know each other and to make changes in our lives that are only going to benefit our walk with God.
get plugged in with people that are going to speak life up to you. Asking questions like these can help us discern which voices ultimately to listen to and ultimately to trust. In David's life and story, I think it's clear that he was able to quickly shake off what his brother said. He was quickly able to shake off what Saul said and really dive into what God said to him. He stayed focused on what God was inviting him in to do. Continuing now, uh, verses 34 through 36 in 1 Samuel 17. Here's David's response to Saul saying, you're too young. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. David's like the walking epitome of confidence, right? There's people, his brother said, he, I, I hate your heart. Saul said, you're too young. And David goes, guess what I've done? Guess what I've done in my life? I've got this. And he gives that great example. Not only did he use his slingshot to kill an, uh, fight an animal, but when that animal turned on him, he mangled an animal and struck it and killed it. That's a strong kid. That, that's incredible, right? These words just pour confidence. David is so focused on the task at hand that it's, it's starting to give other people confidence. Saul eventually is going to turn from his words and be like, all right, I like this kid. I'm, I'm going to let this kid fight this giant, right? David's bravado comes from past experiences in, his, in the wilderness as a shepherd. He wasn't just saying, well, I think I can because God's on my side. He was like, no, look what God's done in me all my life. This is how I know I am ready for this moment. He wasn't just sitting down all day watching animals do their animal things and playing a harp and writing music and look at all these wonderful sheep. This is the life. There may have been moments like that, but he was actively protecting things. He was fighting animals. He was getting prepared for this moment. God was helping him perfect his craft for this moment. He was letting the ultimate giver of life speak life into him, which physically, skillfully, and emotionally prepared David for this moment and moments to follow. He personally saw God deliver him. He was there. I mean, I, if I struck a lion with a slingshot and that lion got mad, I'd probably be giving my final prayers at that moment. Like, God, here I come. Like, this is, this is it. Now he's mad. But David wrangled it. He wrestled it and he beat it. He saw God deliver him from the beasts, from the dangers that came when he was watching his sheep. And he had no doubt that God was going to do the same thing in this moment, just like he had his entire life. He blocked out the white noise. We need to block out the white noise. Let God speak into us. Let his truth scream louder than any other voices that come at us. Let his words fuel us more than any other words. Block out anything that may tear you down. The next thing David does, he's blocked out the white noise. The second thing he does here is he remembers. He remembers where he's been. And I think we get to do that too. We can look at our life and what prepares us for the future by remembering where we've been. Remembering what's gone on in our life and what's, what's gotten us from there to here, right? There's so many stories in the Bible about individuals being prepared for something big. You, you, you see their beginnings and you see what's orchestrated in their lives and eventually they go on to do incredible things, but they remember things that they've, they've gone through and they remember the suffering that's got them to where they were. Take Joseph, for example, in Genesis. Falsely imprisoned in a foreign land, left, left in, a, in a pit at one point, forgotten about in prison. This guy had nothing going for him. And yet at the end of his story, he ends up in an Egyptian palace, second in command in the entire land. 
This guy had a rough history, a rough past, but God is clearly on the move through the entirety of Joseph's story. Every single moment you see Joseph going through the world throwing things at him, the world saying what he's not, you see God saying something different and God orchestrating this amazing story of how he becomes the savior of Egypt at this time. Whether others could see it or not, God did it through Joseph. In fact, the story of Joseph concludes with these powerful words in Genesis where Joseph says this in Genesis 50, 19 and 20. He says, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Joseph at that point is confronting his brothers, the ones who sold him as a slave and lied to their dad saying he was dead. He has a moment now where he can put them in prison. They don't recognize him. But when he says to them who he is, they cower in fear. But he says, guys, look what God did. Look what God did. God did so much good with what was meant for evil. God was with him all along, just like God was with David all along. Just like today, God is with us all along. The whole time he's here. Even today, maybe the first step in learning to understand God's call in our life is by taking a look backwards real quick. Not, not dwelling on it not reliving it, but looking back and saying, I remember these moments. I remember when I was here and God got me there. I remember when this was hard and I can see God orchestrating something in me. I remember when God worked in me this way and that's prepared me for what he's going to do with me now. It's important that we look back and remember. Remembering where we have been is meant to give us strength and confidence in where we are now. It's not meant to make us live with regret not meant to, to make us feel bad about ourselves, but it's, if we look back at where we've been, it's meant to give us strength and confidence to where we are right now. Deuteronomy 8.2 puts it this way. It says, remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these years in the wilderness so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. See, see, doing work in our past gives us strength and confidence for whatever we can and will face today. And then we can stand with confidence the way David did in verse 37, where he said that about the lion. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hands of this Philistine. What David held in his hands and heart was this collective memory of all God has done. And he was not afraid to tell Saul at that moment, this is how God has worked in my life now. This is what he's going to do here. Before he ever picked up the stones, before he ever picked up the sling, he already carried the memories of delivery, the memories of triumph, the, the memories of victory of his life with these sheep. And you can see that when Saul tries to, to weigh David down with this new armor and a sword, David even at this point says, I'll have nothing to do with that stuff. It's not going to work. I have what God's given me. Don't dwell on your past, but remember, it's important. One of the most entertaining parts of the Tonight Show when Jay Leno was in charge, um, he did a segment called Jaywalking. And he, he, would, he would walk down the street and he would ask people all sorts of questions. And a lot of them historical in nature, like, do you remember this or who was in charge when this happened? And the way people did not know answers is always what made it funny, right? Like he, he would ask people, you know, hey, when was Pearl Harbor attacked? And people would be like, what's Pearl Harbor? It's like, wow. Why is Pearl Harbor significant? And some people actually said, because that's where they found the first pearl? Okay. Right? People just don't know the answer. It always made it super entertaining that people did not know the answer to what we thought were obvious questions. Or who was the president when the atomic bomb was created or dropped? It was Truman. Now you can tell everyone that you knew that, right? It's Truman. But some suggested World War II was fought in 1970. Right? It, bizarre answers. But the answers are entertaining because people were so wrong, like not even in the right ballpark with what they would say. They were way out there. 
But at the same time, it's a sad commentary on the awareness of our history, right? When you ask people, one of the things they did was, why do we celebrate Memorial Day? And people go, oh, because we need another day for a barbecue. That was one of the answers. Okay. Not kidding. You can find them all on YouTube. But when we forget the past, when we totally ignore and forget the past, I think we lose anchor on what is, what is keeping us from drifting. When we forget the sacrifices that were made for our freedom or taking that freedom for granted, we can lose focus on so many important things. We, when we forget our spiritual roots, we forget what God's done for us, I think it's so much easier to start drifting away from God. Remember what he's done. Look back at your life and see his hand there. As a nation, we've, we've tried to keep our history alive through lots of different things, right? We have monuments. You can go to Washington, D.C. and see tons of monuments from various wars. We have museums that contain artifacts from American history. We place monuments and cemeteries. Um, some of us do the, the Ancestry.com or genealogy records to find out, you know, my history. Where did I come from? Where did my family, what are the roots of our family in an attempt to keep our history alive? And then this morning, I think we see that David remembered his history. He knew his history, and that propelled him through his future. From the very beginning of Israel's history, we see that it's important, that God actually even used monuments for people to remember. Remember things. Remember where you came from. Remember where I saved you. He gave the rainbow to Noah. That this is like a monument. This is your symbol, a rainbow. He gave the right of circumcision to Abraham. He did Passover feasts. He did other celebrations. He did symbols in the temple furnishings. We, there were various monuments erected at different sites of important happenings. Several biblical people were told to make a monument of stone as a reminder of the miracle. As a matter of fact, a monument was made before they crossed the Red Sea. There's amazing things that happen in Scripture. We have communion in the Last Supper today. All these things were for Israel. As they were doing these things, God said, build this to remember what happened here. Build this to remember what you were delivered from. Build this so you can look at where you're going now and see all the provision that happened in the past so you know you can get through the future. I did it for you then. I'll do it for you now. When we remember where we've been, what God has done, we can look ahead confidently and say, this is where I need to go, and this is why Goliath cannot stand in my way. Confidence because of what our past, what God has brought us through, can get us where we're going. And then we remember we see the last thing David did. He knew he had all that he needed. He knew with God he had everything he needed. 1 Samuel 17, 38 to 40, continuing the story, he says this. Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. He put on a bronze helmet on David's head. He had armor put on him. David strapped his sword on over the military clothes and tried to walk, but he was not used to him. I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in a pouch in his shepherd's bag. Then with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. It shows David trying to fit into the mold of a proper soldier, right? The helmet, the armor, the sword. He proceeded to walk around in them, but then he quickly realized, this is not me. This is not who God has built me up to be. This is, this is not what God has prepped me for, to, to, be, to be this this is not what I need right now. What I do need is just my slingshot, what God has been prepping me to use all these years, a handful of stones, and he went out there to fight Goliath with just the stones, the slingshot, and God. He sufficiently was prepared to face Goliath. He didn't need the extra stuff. He knew it was a hindrance. What, what the world was saying, you need this for your fight, he was saying, no, I don't. He was able to recognize, again, more of the white noise, right? The, you need this, David, you need this. He didn't need it. 
and then he recognized he did not need it. I think today many of us can try to fit into someone else's clothing or story to try and live out our life better than we think we need to. Say, oh, this person does it this way, so I need to do it this way. Instead of saying, God's been preparing me for this. This is how I need to walk my life. This is what God has been working in me. We can learn like David that we don't need what everybody else has. We have all we need with what God has given us. In fact, all you are right now, your current state, all you are right now is all God needs to take the next step with you. All you are right now is all God needs. He's not waiting to you to get to a certain point to get qualified to serve. He's not waiting for you to say, one day when you get here, then I can work with you. God's saying, no, who you are right now, I'm all you need. You've got all you need. I've given you what you need so we can do this together. God can and will take you right now to do amazing things. And then through him, we can see the fruits of multiplication just like we did with Jesus, just like we did with so many people in scripture, but specifically when we talked about loaves and fishes, right? The disciples brought Jesus what? All they had. That this is, this is what we found. This is all we had. And through that, Jesus simply said, all right, here's what you have. Here's what I can do. It's a principle that we've talked about before that I think that, that we can hear it over and over again sometimes and, and still maybe not quite set right until just you got to get to that point, right, where God, this is who I am. Come to him with who you are. And he says, you've got all you need because I can do so much with it. What if God is trying to help you see miraculous things he can do in and through your life simply by bringing your ordinary stuff to him every single day? Nothing extraordinary, nothing above and beyond, just saying, God, here's where I am. Here's where I'm at. Here's what I've got, and watch him do incredible things. David put aside all the extra stuff. He said, all right, Saul, don't need any of this. God has five stones in sling, and let's finish the story now. 41 to 51, this part of the story with the fight in Goliath. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. I mean, we talked a few weeks ago about what the enemy does. Right? He demeans, he questions, and he casts fear. We see Goliath doing the same things to David right now. You're just a small boy. You're nothing. Why are you even here? I'm insulted that this is who you presented. I'm going to feed you to the dogs. He's trying to do all those things to him. And David replies to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty and the God of the Israel armies, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you to my hands. I will strike you down and cut off your head. David's a little bloodthirsty at this point. This very day I will give the carcass of the Philistine army away to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those who gather here will know that it is not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. I love that. He is running to the battle, running to meet Goliath. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone, the stone stank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him, took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from his sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. That's powerful. 
I know we know the story, but, but reading it and understanding now the context of what David did to get to that point, that is a powerful, powerful moment. When we stand against our enemies, when we stand against our Goliaths, and we hold up Jesus as our victory, what does the enemy do? What did the Philistines do? They ran. They saw what David did. He declared in that moment, this is going, everyone's going to know God is here and that God beat you. And in the face of a victorious God, the enemy did the only thing it could do. It ran. Church, we have, we have everything we need, not only to make a stand against the enemy, but to look our enemy in the eye, declare victory, and watch him run. Watch him run. This goes for anything in your life that tries to come against the will of God in your life. So, so what do we do? How do we, how do, what are we doing now to build up this faith and strength that God has instilled in us to declare victory? Will, will our Goliaths be scary? Absolutely. Absolutely. There, there will be things that come in our life that, that will be, a, we, they'll strike fear in us. We'll, we'll, we'll have those moments of doubt. We'll have those moments of, am I ready for this? They're gonna test us. They'll try us. They'll be hard, Absolutely. I'm not saying it's going to be a cakewalk, but I'm saying that what we see through David, the way he approached, the way he blocked out the white noise, he saw his history and he ran at the enemy with the confidence of God, we can overcome these things. We can overcome. David added to that faith that he had developed over time serving God and his family in the wilderness, and he walked out to that battle with Goliath. Through all the white noise, throughout the fear and the doubt, he cast it all aside and he walked into victory. All he had was that God had already given him. Take away this today. You already have what you need. Today, you already have what you need. Ask yourself these questions maybe. How has my past prepared me for God's future? How has my past prepared me for God's future? What am I doing to build my faith? What am I doing, what do I have right now? What do I have right now that God can use to serve him? And then the kicker, ready? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? It's powerful to start believing that line that you already have everything you need to serve and go for God today. I'd like to invite the worship team up and invite you all to stand with me as we come to a close this morning. There, are, uh, there may be a lot of us here today that feel trapped in this, this endless loop of white noise. Too many voices, too many options, too many experiences of, of shame, too many regrets, uh, too, many, too many defeats in life to, to confidently move forward with everything God has for you. If that sounds like you today, I want to encourage you to do all you can to shut out those noises, shut out those voices, and shift your focus to the one who says the exact opposite to you. To the ones who tell you you can't, Focus on the one who says, you can. To the one who says, you're not ready. Focus on the one who says, we're ready today. Step confidently with God. Have that focus that David did, a singular focused mind on the power and majesty of God to chase after his heart above anyone else. Or maybe people, have, maybe you're here today and you've simply forgotten your past. Not, not, in a, not in a bad way. Maybe there are some things that you don't want to think about, but some things that are worth remembering because you can see where you are today. I remember there was a, a friend of mine who um, gave me something to read, and he said, hey, I wrote this book before I was a Christian, but this is my life, and I want you to, to understand some of my life. And on the note he wrote in the inside cover, it said, just know that I wrote this before I was a Christian. I hope it doesn't change your perspective of me. 
So I, I read this book, and it was, it was a book about his, his life in war. And when I read this book, and I read the things that he had gone through, I told him, I said, man, I view you so much better now knowing where you were, your history, and to see your walk with God now, that's incredible. Don't ever forget your past because you can see how God has worked in you now. Maybe you need to look back and just say, let me take a look at my life. Let me see all these moments where God has just come in so you know you have all you need to do what he wants you to do today. Don't look at everybody else. Don't look at what other people have. Look at all you have and know that God's given you all you have and you have everything you need to serve him today. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that, that you love us so much. God, I thank you that, that we have everything we need to serve you today. We have everything we need to share with you, uh, share you to other people today. God, we have everything we need to be all in right now today. God, I pray if there's anybody here that has that uh, never taken that step to, to invite you into their life, God, that, that maybe today is the day where a conversation happens about that. God, if there's somebody here today who, who isn't, isn't signed up to serve somewhere or, or a part of a small group or something where they say, hey, I just haven't taken that step to dive in deeper, that they know today is the day to do it. You are calling them today. You have given them everything they need. You've given us all what we need to serve you wholeheartedly and overcome trials today. So God, we give you all that we are. We thank you. We love you. And everybody said, amen.